So happy to introduce to you our lead pastor, Charles Park, who's got a great new message to share with us today. Interesting topic. As you know, he's a little bit gimpy, so easy, easy. All right, here we go. The accident here will not be encouraging. Well, it's so, e- so nice to be welcomed. You guys uh, seem to really like me. That's really nice. I like that. Well, I am very excited about today. We're starting a new sermon series called Stages of Life. And we kick it off with A sermon titled, Trapped Between Desires and Responsibilities. Has this ever happened to you? Trapped between... You know, I love ice cream. I can't get enough of it. I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. I also have very high cholesterol. Oh... Talk about a trap, right? Now, let's take a survey. What would you say to me? I mean, my favorite brand would be like caramel salt ice cream, you know? And I have an opportunity, let's hypothetically, I have an opportunity to get free caramel salt ice cream as much as I want. What should I do tonight? How many of you would say, just eat a gallon of it? How many of you, come on, just go with your, you know, just live it up. Live it up. And how many of you say, you got to be responsible, you know, do you want to leave your kids as orphans? I mean, what are you thinking? Now, come on, how many? I mean, it's kind of like half, half. Did you see that? It's kind of like, well, some of you are like, follow your passion, live in the moment kind of people. Carpe diem, right? Seize the day, live your day. And then some of you are like, come on, be responsible. You know, you gotta, you know, live your life. You're not, you know, your father. You know, do your thing, right? And both camps have a, a point to make, right? I mean, it's not like one is right over the other always. I mean, it's sort of an eternal human conflict. Desires versus responsibilities. I mean, most of us would love to just quit everything, travel the world, just have fun, live in the beach. I mean, who wants to, like, change diapers and take out the trash? I mean, any of you feel like that's the passion of your life? I mean, right? But, you know, having, having life requires building a career, you know, building a future, having kids. That, they all come with responsibilities and obligations, right? So it's, it's one and the other, and we're always in this conflict. Can you relate? Can you think back to those times and moments? And it's always there with us, right? So what do we do? How do we navigate this trap that seems to be always be present in our lives? Today we are going to look at a story from the Bible of someone who followed her passion and got into huge trouble. 
And Jesus shows us a third way that transcends the trap, that tells us how to navigate the trap between desires and responsibilities. Sounds good? Intriguing? Shall we take a look? It's from John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and sat down. And he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law, it's the Bible, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her to death. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Okay, so let's stop there. The passage begins with a woman caught in the act of adultery. She followed her passion, right? This is a case of passion winning over responsibility, right? And now she has to pay the price with her life. Sometimes following your passion can land you in huge trouble, right? This happened to her. But she gets caught up in this political face-off between the teachers of the law and the Pharisees on one side and Jesus on the other side. She is now a pawn in this game between them, right? Teachers of the law, teachers of Bible, and Pharisees, they bring this woman to Jesus in order to trap him. What is this trap? What is this trap? Well, at the time, only the Romans, the ruling people, had the power to execute people. They took that power very seriously because it's as if today, If some religious teacher or churches went around arresting people and stoning them or killing them because the Bible says so, without due process of the court, what would happen? The government would take that very seriously, don't you think? You'd be arrested as murderers. You'd be in huge trouble. So it's like that. Back in those days, Romans took that governmental power very seriously. They are the only ones Who can execute people? The government. You can't just stone people. Right? So if Jesus said, go ahead and follow the Bible and stone her, they could accuse Jesus of being a murderer, put him in jail, and kill him. Right? On the other hand, if Jesus said, no, you can't do that, don't kill her, they could accuse him of being a coward, of breaking God's laws. Jesus doesn't honor the Bible. He does not follow the law of Moses, the most important laws in the Bible. He doesn't follow it. He's not a man of God. He's more afraid of the Romans than God. He's not a really, truly, a true man of God. So do you see the trap? Whatever Jesus says, he would get in trouble. They could accuse him one way or another. As a background information, these teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they are theologians and Bible-loving people of the day. They just had it in for Jesus. Don't you think? They hated him. They had to get him out. There's a reason for that we'll talk about a little later. 
So how does Jesus respond? How does he escape this trap? But Jesus, so this is what happens. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. It's a famous phrase, right? This is where it comes from. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. Just love this passage. Isn't that so powerful? Just packs such a punch. It's just an incredible passage. I mean, I wonder what is your response? What is your first response when you hear this famous story? Because there are various possible responses. Various possible responses. One response I would categorize as stage one response. This term comes from this famous psychologist and author, M. Scott Peck. He developed a theory called stage theory to describe and categorize how different people approach life, in particular how different people approach the tension between desires and responsibility. So he came up with this stage theory. Stage one response to this passage would be to focus on the fact that this woman gets off without having to pay any price. No one can throw a stone at any sinners because we're all sinners. So this is a license to do whatever you want to do. I mean, there won't be any price to pay because no one can throw a stone. And so just damn the consequences, do whatever you want to do, no matter what it does to people. Why not? Follow your passion. Eat your ice cream. Why not? Well, why not is obvious. You will die if you eat all your ice cream all the time. I mean, this is a toddler's response, right? For a two-year-old, you know, why not? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a two-year-old's response to everything in life is why not? You know? They are all self-centered criminals. <laughs> right? These two-year-olds. They just don't even understand why you have to share. Because the whole universe revolves around you, right? Everything is about you. You are the universe. They don't quite understand that there's a larger world out there with other people, with other agendas. That don't have to do with serving them. That just doesn't even exist as a category. And without proper boundaries, they will hurt themselves and others around them. So growing up, 
is this process of connecting to the larger world. Growing up is this process of understanding you are not the only thing that exists. And not everything exists to serve you. Growing up is this process of understanding other people and connecting to them and coming out of your self-centered universe. And most often, this growing up process gets done, gets taught by the process of teaching them the rules. I mean, you don't sit down with a two-year-old and try to explain psychology. You You don't try to explain the why. You just teach them the rules. You have to share. You have to respect your friend's toys. And they'll go, why? Why? Right? And they just, you, just, you just can't reason with that. They will just melt down, and you just have to just put your foot down. And you just tell them, why? Because mommy says so. It's the rules. Right? That's the only thing that you can do. It's taught through rules. And religion most often plays a big role in this process of civilizing people. Because at some point you grow out of mommy's rules. You grow up and move out of the house. But God is bigger than mommy. God provides continuity and comfort in providing these boundaries, you know, proper rules, proper ways of behavior, proper ways to think and believe. It plays a very important role in helping civilization stay civilized. You see that? Stage two is very important. The theologians and the Pharisees in this passage are religious leaders who take that role seriously. They play this role faithfully. Rules are very important to them. If they were alive today and reading this passage, they would focus on sin no more. Sin no more. This is not a license to do whatever you want. Sin no more. You know, Jesus says, do not sin. That's what they will focus on. They are rule keepers. Peck would call this stage two response to focus on that. And this is a necessary step forward for humanity, for humanity, but this can end up being a trap. The culture that I grew up in, the Korean Confucian culture, was very stage two. Focused around shame, family, you know, you just, there's no individual, you know, in our history. Your sense of self is found in relation to your service, to your family, your clan, your country. You repress everything. There was like four respectable professions that I could do without bringing shame to the family. You know, I could be a doctor, lawyer, professor. Otherwise, I would just be, oh my God, what has happened to you? 
you know, such shame. A professional video game player? That would not have cut it in my family. I would have been cast out and disowned. Just doesn't work. On one hand, the shame culture can bring about great achievements. Korea has achieved a lot in short time. On the other hand, the kids in Korea rank dead last in happiness surveys. They rank at about the same level as war-torn countries in Africa and Middle East, like Syria. The suicide rate is off the charts, highest by far, by factors in all the developed countries. People are miserable. There's a very popular saying in Korea. It says, hell, Korea. That's what everybody says. (laughs) See, it's wonderful. You know, my kids love it when they visit Korea. Because everything is so spick and and span, brand new. The toilets, you know, when you go up, you know, public toilets even, they like automatically like go up and down. The subways are all air conditioned, you know. It's just so nice. Achieved so much. And yet people are so miserable there. So that tells us just repressing and achieving is not a solution to everything. That's not a solution to the trap between desires and responsibilities to just say, just go be responsible. At some point, a human being explodes, (laughs) you know? It just creates a lot of dysfunctionality. It's not a lasting solution. So in the secular Western world, actually the culture has been moving away from stage two for a couple of hundred years. It's been a while, actually. It's a gradual moving. It's now very popular to say things like, be authentic, be true to yourself, follow your passions. Words like duty and shame, they are not as respected as they were in the Middle Ages. Those words were very important in the Middle Ages. But do you hear things like duty and shame these days? Not much. This is a sign that this culture has been moving away. Stage three culture. Authenticity is greatly valued here. New York City that we live in here, it's a stage three culture city. Let me show you an ad that goes around the city. New York City. Tolerant of your beliefs, judgmental of your shoes. That's a very interesting ad that shows the spirit of this city. Tolerant of your beliefs. That tells us, this is not stage two here. It's not about following a a, a set rules. There's no norm here that you have to conform to. But shoes. (laughs) Shoes. Think about it for a moment. Shoes is about your personality. It's about your color. It's about who you are. It's saying that's more important than beliefs. An ad like this can only work in a stage three culture, even as a joke, to claim that shoes are more important than beliefs. Right? Even as a joke, that only works in stage three culture. It reveals something about what people feel like here. We want to follow our passions, be authentic without being criminal, I mean, that's the difference between stage one and stage three. 
you can be, you can follow your passions and be authentic without being criminal, right? But you know, that's what's important rather than rules. But, and, and I have to say, I love stage three and this city. I love this city. Probably because I grew up in stage two culture and like I have really like allergic response to it because of it. So I love stage three. It feels like freedom and life. You can breathe. But I have to say, this too falls short. It's not enough just to be authentic and follow your passion, be yourself. I mean, what what is yourself anyway? It's not easy to define self on its own. And, and, And just going with stage three can land you in big trouble. I mean, you could be You could have, you could like go for like seven different majors in college, trying to follow your passion and never graduate. You could go from job to job to job, just trying to find that spark and never find a career. You could go from relationship to relationship, never settling down. I mean, life can get really, really difficult that way. And even if you make it, you can feel very unmoored without any sense of tradition, any sense of belonging, just always trying to follow your passion and be authentic to yourself, that can get tiring. And feel just, you're dangling out there. It's not enough. Jesus shows us another way. When Jesus got trapped, he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Then he comes up with this genius. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Wow, right? Where does he get this stuff? This is just pure original genius, right? This is not from the scriptures. There's nothing like this in the Bible of his time. There's nothing like this from any of like sage philosophers or wisdom traditions that you could read about. This is just authentic, pure, original gold. right? Amazing. It's the perfect answer that lets him escape the trap between the Romans and the Bible. But also the trap between that eternal human conflict between desires and obligations and not knowing what to do. He also escapes that trap with this answer because this is not stage two nor stage three. This is not following a rule. Nor is it just to do, you know, follow your passion. It's just otherworldly. This is an audible from God. Do you know that term, audible? Football season's about to start. Some of you are loving it. Some of you are not so much of a fan of it, right? Many of the guys are like, oh, yeah. Okay, so for those of you who are not such a fan of football, let me just explain. Very briefly, (laughs) yes. See, in football, it's a very organized team sport, right? So everybody has to know what they're doing in the team. And you usually follow the playbook. You usually have a set play, and you call out, okay, we're going to do this set play. And everyone, like, does their thing. Everybody knows their role, and they follow this set play. pattern of things to do 
The running back does this, the linebacker does this. Everybody has to follow the, the rules of the role that they are assigned in order to make the play successful. So, so that's usually how the plays go. But from time to time, the captain will see, usually quarterback, will see that the set play that they planned on doing will not work because defense has caught on to what you're trying to do. Then he will call what's called an audible. Audible just means he just yells out some code that says we're going to change the play and we're going to go with something else. Make sense? And everybody else does the, you know, change. They have to listen to that and change according to whatever gets called out. That's what happened here. Jesus gets an audible from God. There was no set play he could follow that would not land him in a trap. So he takes a pause, and the living God gives him the perfect answer. You see that? It's a divine play that's perfectly tailored to the situation at hand. That is stage four. That is not criminal. That is not following a set of rules. That is not following some passion. But inspired and perfectly wise response from God that's tailored to each situation that you are facing. That's stage four. See how the passage ends. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. You will have the light that leads to life. just want you to notice how he talks about what the light of the world is. He does not say light of the world is teachings from the Bible. He does not say light of the world is teachings from Jesus himself. He said, I am the light of the world. He does not say, I will teach you the stuff that will be the light of the world. He says, follow me. He does not say, follow my teachings and my rules. This is why we believe in the risen Christ. Why that is so important. He is alive. Amen? It's the living God that we are following. Not just God's rules. There's a difference, right? Right? Yes, good. Good, good. Phew. That's what makes us Christians. That's what differentiates Christianity from every other religion out there. Christ is alive. He is the light of the world. That's what we believe. We can get audibles from the living God. We don't have to just follow a set rule, a set playbook. We are promised Perfect guidance, light of the world from the living God. So let me give you some practical suggestions on how to live with audibles from God. The first suggestion is don't go with your automatic impulse response. To get audibles from God, you have to give him some space to give you an audible. (laughs) If you're just going with your automatic impulse, there's no time. For God to uh, change the plan. You have to check in. 
You have to listen for it. You have to give him space. It's not easy to do in day-to-day, you know, routines and things that come your way. There's a lot of pressure in living life to just react to whatever comes your way. It's shown in this passage too. They kept demanding an answer. That's pressure, right? There's pressure to act. There's pressure to give an answer right away. Come on. Isn't that annoying? It's really annoying. But life does that to us. We have to give an answer. We have to act. Don't let the pressure get to you to respond too fast. See, Jesus, he stoops down and starts writing. That gives him space, right? He takes a pause. That's that's really important. That is a discipleship issue. Can you do that? Can you follow Jesus, his example? Instead of going with your first automatic impulse is can you just always give yourself, give God a little space? It's a very important thing for someone trying to follow Jesus. So to help with that, evaluate your instinctive responses. Come to know now it's really helpful to know what's your automatic response. How do you How do you tend to respond? It's good to understand what stage that you are in. And in different situations, we all kind of respond differently too. It's good to know. See, when I go home, I tend to regress. When I go home to Korea or something, then I kind of like become little baby-ish. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I'm with kids, I'm, I'm, I'm very stage two. When they say, I'm going out to have fun, then the first words right out of my, my mouth without thinking would be, be safe. Watch out for the cars. Don't go with strangers. I mean, just all these rules just come right out of my mouth, even though I just rebel. And my hair bristles against stage two. With my kids, I just go straight to stage two. And other times, I'm just stage three. It's good to kind of understand so that it's a signal to you before you just go with whatever is coming into your mouth. Understand, okay, I'm about to say X, Y, and Z. Well, that's what I usually do. Maybe that's a signal. And maybe I shouldn't do it. Just take a pause. It's very helpful to evaluate your stage, your tendencies, your approach to desires versus responsibilities at different settings. Because we have to be flexible about our stage. We can't get stuck. And that's the trap of life. We get really stuck in our approaches because they work. us and it's very possible to get stuck in stage one Did you know that I mean you don't have to 
be a toddler to be stage one, right? You can be a criminal and end up in jail, or you can be very successful, but very self-centered. Can you think of someone? I bet you can. (laughs) You know, stage one. If you get stuck in stage one, you can be very successful, but if you insist on being the center of universe, you will never get connected to the larger world in a true, authentic, meaningful way. So your world will be very small. You'll be disconnected from anything that's real out there. You'll be disconnected from God, other people. Your soul will shrink. It will be a hellish existence, even if you're successful. It's not a good way to go. But hard stage two is just as bad, perhaps even worse. You can get really stuck in stage two. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees in this story, they are stuck. They are hard stage two. They're stuck on rules from the Bible. And as wonderful and marvelous the Bible is and the rules from the Bible is, they are means to connection. They are there to help us connect to God and to people. And if you forget that and start to think that's more important than even people and God, you can become an enemy of God. They are enemies of Jesus throughout the Bible. Primary enemies of Jesus. Isn't that ironic? That the people who put God first and love the Bible so much, they end up being the enemies of God in all the gospel stories. We can never forget that. That happened because they became hard stage two. Yeah, it's like, you know, that saying, to a hammer, everything is a nail. That can happen. When you, when some stage starts working for you, let's say you are an alcoholic. You grew up in a criminal household and rules saved you. Army saved you. Religion saved you. When that happens, you become so grateful. You become so enamored of what has saved you Now, you can never let that go. It becomes so scary to even think about letting go just a little bit because you you remember what chaos and what destruction that could come from letting that go. So they become even more important than God himself. They have become your God. It is definition of idolatry. Bible can become an idol if you don't go with a living God. Or stage three. You know, if if you find yourself losing yourself because you've always followed the rules, and then, then like me, I immigrate to America, end up in New York City, and I've been liberated or something, then like any whiff of rules, you can get allergic. You can just go, oh my God, those backwards people, that just, I can never go back to that. And you you just are like, Then you become hard stage three. You know, can you think of some? I think so. Very dangerous. You will never escape the trap between desires and obligations. You will, your soul will shrink. You have to understand at different stages and different situations, you have to use different approaches. And to do that, You have to have the living God. 
This is where faith comes in. You have to have faith. God is alive and He is good. God is good. Amen? He's good. Listen to Him. You know? He is the light. Learn to get audibles from the living God. Like Jesus in the story. It's so important. It's central to faith. Now, how do we do that? First, believe that God will give you an audible. God will. When he says, I am the light of the world, he's not kidding. He's saying, I, I am promising you, I will be your light. Take that promise at face value. He is alive. He will be your light. So talk to him and learn to get audibles. Learn to hear from God. Develop your hearing. You know, get a little uh, earphone connected to the uh, quarterback's uh, audible, you know, so you can hear it. Because when the stadium gets really loud, it's very hard to hear. When life gets busy and hectic, it's very hard to hear audibles from God. So practice. Practice tuning your soul and your hearing to audibles from God all the time. Those of us who are kind of new to this, This church exists to help you experience God's goodness for yourself. This is a very important component of that. And so we have tools. We have, you know, if you go to River App, we have an app. You can download it. How many of you have these River Apps? It's essential. It's so good, right? And you go, there's a section called Daily Suggestions coming off of the sermon. Just take a look at that. And we will give you, just anyone can start. We'll give you a five-step process to start learning to hear from God. So take a look at that. And then there are other suggestions throughout throughout the week. So try to do them. Get involved. Become part of a group. You will pick up these tools. You will pick up these skills. and, And this is something that we can always grow at, even if you already know how to do. We need to get better and better and better at it so that we can live stage four life. Let's read this together. Jesus said, okay, shall we read it together out loud? Can we do that? Great. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the life that leads to life. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world, that you offer to speak to us and guide us in Tricky situations that always comes up between desires and obligations. And Lord, we confess today we get stuck. We confess today that we get stuck in stage one, stage two, stage three. And we get allergic to other stages. And we have bad responses. And and we just go with our instinct and our impulses. And we think it's so right. We are all caught up in our own righteousness. And being right, because we think of all the wrong and dangerous things that could come from other stages. But Lord, help us remember that we are just human beings, limited scope, limited perspective. You are the Lord, you are God, and we are the flesh. You are eternal, we are but a breath. Help us, O God, to be humble to not be so set in our ways. We repent today, God, and we ask you to come 
spirit of light that guides us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.